Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I get to serve on the team with Converge Northeast. And today's conversation is a really special one to me. One of the people that I've been so blessed to get to know and now count as a friend as I've been in this role with Converge Northeast is Dr. Tyrone Stevenson. Pastor Tyrone started and leads Hope City Church in East New York, a neighborhood in Brooklyn. And he was born and raised in this neighborhood, has had some amazing experiences through his life. And you're going to hear how God brought him back to East New York to lead a very unique and that's good, right? Unique New York, unique New York, a very unique uh, ministry and a a special uh, just work that God is doing in and through. You're going to hear some of his personal story. You're going to hear about what discipleship looks like in his context. One of the things that he said after we get done the recording, we ended up talking for, for quite a while, but he talked about sort of the theme of a lot of what we're going to hear in this interview is that his ministry is helping to see God transform family trees. What a beautiful picture of what the gospel can do. What a beautiful picture of what discipleship is. And you're going to hear some great, great ideas on what that really looks like. Boots on the ground in his ministry and hopefully some things that can help you right where you are as well. I want to just take a moment to invite you this upcoming April, April uh, 21st through the 23rd, April 21st to the 23rd, we are holding our annual marriage event, our Anchored Marriage Retreat. This year, we'll be back in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island, just a picturesque, beautiful New England town, a great place to walk around. And we have just a great schedule. There's Lots of good content and fellowship, good food, but also we build the schedule with lots of space for you to go walk around town, get a meal together, uh, and just have a really, um, this is not just overwhelming content, but time to really get away and to relax and to invest into your marriage. So ministry leaders, pastors, join us this upcoming spring, April 21st to 23rd, Anchored. You can learn more about that and register today at convergenortheast.org, convergenortheast.org. We would love to see you. Our whole team would love to see you there. So right now, let's jump right into my conversation with Pastor Tyrone Stevenson from Hope City Church in East New York. Here we are. Today, I have a real special treat to introduce you to someone who has become a good friend of mine as I've been in this role with Converge for the last two years. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Tyrone Stevenson leads Hope City Church uh, in New York City, and I am so grateful to be able to introduce your story and to share uh, some of your perspective on the church and discipleship today. Thank you, uh, Tyrone, for jumping on with us today. Thanks, Andy. I'm so glad to be here. You've really made me feel great to invite me. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Well, I'm always looking for excuses to spend time with you. You are a person of great joy great character, you're a great pastor, and um, I've loved, honestly, one of the joys of this this role has been getting to know you and your church. So excited to share that today. Uh, Hope City Church is uh, marked a key milestone, uh, which not every church plant mm-hmm. always gets to. So you guys, uh, <laughs> what, tell me what you just celebrated and maybe share a little bit of the story about how this church came to be. Uh, Hope City just celebrated our 20th year as a church. Wow. Uh, we were planted 20 years ago. Um, and it's funny to hear you say, you know, not many churches uh, play, uh, churches make, to, make it to this milestone. I don't even think like that. And when you said it, I'm like, wow, 
Yeah, we were a church plant. Uh, so 20 years ago, um, we planted um, then Hope Christian Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it was uh, an amazing, amazing time. We um, Funny story, um, the building that we are in, our main campus, uh, is the church building that I grew up worshiping in as a child. Wow. It's in the community that I grew up in as a child. Um, and so uh, I was a mortgage banker and um, got involved with the church I grew up with in uh, as a child, uh, trying to help them sell the building. Um, I had zero. No, it never entered my mind. I lived in Maryland. Life was great. <laughs> never entered my mind. Um, and through... <sighs> too many things to to walk through. God orchestrated uh, some things that allowed us to acquire the building um, and to plant a new church there. The church had dwindled when I was at the, my church, my childhood church. It was like the place, one of the places to be in Brooklyn. And it had just um, dwindled um, to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, they it was, The building was abandoned. Uh, people don't believe that people were having worship in that building. People don't believe me. When you see pictures, there was no heat. There was no air. There was no running water. Um, and, you know, four or five people would come together and worship um, for years. It wasn't like that for like two years, five years, 10 years. It was like that for almost 15 years. Wow. Um, it's hard for people to believe it. Um, those people were so, so committed. Mm. Um, and God orchestrated something amazing. All of them stayed and became part of um, Hope Christian Center. Um, all of them were people who grew me up in church as a child. Um, and it was um, for them a joy to see what they had believed God for with no evidence. Um, and all of them before passing away got to see our church um, become what they knew it could be. And that for me is one of the greatest parts of planting the church in my home church building, in the community I grew up with, I grew up in, and in the place where um, some of the people who were so important to forming me um, remained a part of. Just a great story. It's a great story. It is a great story. I think you shared with me one time they used to ride your tricycle or something by by the church, uh, you know, there, you know, just God's providence and his hand in these things and him knowing, you know, sort of the plan. And uh, how did how did you end up going from being a mortgage broker, though, to being a pastor? I mean, I know you grew up as a person of faith. But that's an interesting, you know, those those things are not usually the uh, trajectory of a, of a pastor. <laughs> right. Well, first, I was in the military. Yeah. Um, I was in the military. My last station was the Pentagon. That's how I wound up. My wife and I stayed in the Maryland area. Um, and I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't want to be in finance at all. I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and God crossed my path with a woman in the Pentagon when I, when I worked there. And she said to me, out of the blue, it is going to be my job to show you don't you don't want to be a lawyer. She was a lawyer, um, and it was just not what I thought it was. So God used her when I got out of the military to get me a job in a law firm, and all these things were happening. And I realized after about two years, I would go crazy if I was a lawyer. Um, and that sent me on a different trajectory, hmm. uh, which took me into banking. Um, which I loved because it helped. It allowed me to help people 
in a tangible way mm. um, build wealth. And that was really my concept. Um, it allowed me to help them build wealth, uh, something they could pass down um, to their children, um, because I've always believed that the wealth gap uh, between um, African-Americans and white Americans is just ridiculously large. Um, and the greatest way to break it and to shrink it is through home ownership. Mm. And so that was my whole trajectory. That was it. And then I was a member of First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, where our president's the pastor. Um, and I was I was fine to be in banking, to write checks to the church, to write checks to people who were in going to missions trips, um, and uh, serving at First Baptist, which I thought was the greatest, and still thinks is the greatest church on the planet uh, for the work that it does to help people. And I'm when I tell you I was happy. Um, and through the movements of getting uh, the church um, settled in in Brooklyn, um, Pastor Jenkins said to me one day out of the blue, literally out, he had just come back from Africa um, and uh, it, it, it had so moved him. It was mm -hmm. a it was a pivotal point in his life and in the life of our church. That trip to Africa changed our church. Um, and changed Pastor Jenkins. And um, he he just told me, he said, Tyrone, yes, sir, you ought to want a pastor. And just walked away. <laughs> just, <laughs> what did he just say? Um, and, and that was a seed that was planted in my heart on something I honestly never really thought about. Hmm. Um, I just, I just never really thought about it. Um, and that's how it began. Uh, and then when that building, getting involved there, still I was involved to sell it. I was not trying to be the mm -hmm. pastor. And we were out there, it was a team of us, and I was showing them the building. I was actually trying to pitch for Pastor Jenkins and First Baptist to buy the building. Yep. And you could buy the building. It's going to be a tremendous investment. I'm pitching this thing. Um, and everyone's looking at the building, and they were like, wow, Pastor, this is a lot of work. This is da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. And he just asked me out of the blue, Tyrone, what do you see? And I started describing the church renovated from top to bottom. And that's three floors. And I'm describing the church, where the sound should be, where the seats should be. And, and before, when I finished talking, Andy, everyone on the team is standing there staring at me. And I'm like, mm. what? And Pastor Jenkins said, Tyrone, you just laid out a vision for this church. And I said, no, I just laid out a vision for a building you should buy <laughs> so, <laughs> for somebody else. And then it, it hit me in a way that I could not escape anymore. Yeah. Um, and I began to really seek God and God changed my heart toward it and brought me to a place that, that I am. It's been the it's been the most challenging thing I've ever done in my yes. life, but without a doubt, the most rewarding thing that I've ever done was to plant this church in East New York, Brooklyn. Mm. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing that, that story. And um, haven't been able to visit your church um, a couple times, but once on a Sunday morning, um, I just I encourage people to, to check out the live stream, check out what God's doing uh, at Hope City. It's a, it's a really great outpost for the gospel and you're doing great work there. So another part of your story that I, I don't know as much about, so I'm actually really curious to this. I know you've written a little bit about, I uh, read a book about your uh, story about with your dad, and I'd love to kind of hear mm -hmm. what sort of the nexus of that, uh, what that is in your life. Okay. I wrote a book a few years ago um, 
titled The Day My Daddy Died. You can find it on Amazon. Shameless plug. Yes. Um, the Day My Daddy Died. Um, and when I wrote the book, my father was alive. Uh, my father had not uh, had not died. And it wasn't, the, the whole pitch of the book was um, that my father died when I was 13. At 13 years old. Now, my father lived in Brooklyn, where I lived. I lived. I grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So we lived in Brooklyn. Uh, my father was a pastor. Um, my father pastored several churches. Um, he was in the circuit, the Brooklyn preaching circuit, if you understand that language. Um, so he's, you know, this guy who never had time for me. He had time for, it was, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, my mother and father were not married. I did not go to his church. Um, I remember visiting um, the churches he was a part of maybe once or twice. Mm. Um, I was the secret. I was the child of the affair. Mm. Um, and and I, people never let me forget that growing up. You can imagine the cruelty of adults. Um, and so this one time, my mom tells me all my friends are going to ro- going roller skating. That's a big thing back then. And I can't go. My mom tells me I can't go roller skating uh, because my father is coming to pick me up. Well, I am elated. I am over the moon, Andy. Mm. I remember sitting on the on the front of our house um, wondering, where will he take me? Maybe he'll take me to Coney Island. I'm, 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 I'm having this thing because my dad wants to spend time with me. Yeah. Well, one hour passed, two hours passed, three hours passed, four hours passed. And I'm still sitting on the porch at 13. And I came in and I came in the house and I was just completely upset. I went into the bathroom of our of our of our house and I had what I understood, you know, in my adulthood through in counseling, mm. I had a mental breakdown. Emotionally, I completely melted. I was screaming and punching the walls. I was out of control. I locked the door. I remember looking in the uh, uh, the medicine cabinet for something I could take to kill myself. It, it, I was so completely um, out of control. I was sitting on the floor and I was screaming. And I remember this. I get up off the floor and I look in the mirror. My face is red. Um, my, my eyes are red, tears. Um, and I looked in the mirror and I pointed at myself. And I said, today is the last day for the rest of your life that you will ever want anyone who doesn't want you. Hmm. I washed my face and walked out of the bathroom as calm as if nothing ever happened. Hmm. My mother was terrified because I walked out calm as if nothing had happened. And that day my father died. Hmm. I I had a funeral for him. I had a grave marker in that place. I never desired a relationship with him from that point. I never pursued it. I never spoke to him unless he spoke to me. Um, it was a ve- and it affected my ability to have relationships. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the book I really want people to get. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't that moment. That moment changed my life, but it changed the way I related with everyone. Even today, I still uh, am and have therapy. Mm-hmm. around how to navigate having relationships with people. Um, 
it because that thing so mm-hmm. defined my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it so defined my life. And so that's the trajectory of the book. My dad died um, when he was uh, 92 years old. Um, we had reconciled to the point that I felt we could. Um, once I once once I got that this is all he can give me, I never yeah. expected more. Um, I took care of my dad. I paid for my dad's funeral. I preached my father's funeral. Wow. Um, uh, and my father needed anything. Um, he my father was remarried. Um, I paid for his medicine. I paid a pay for rent. Um, they were behind when they're behind on rent. Um, him him and his family. Um, I would pay it. Uh, I had there was no remorse in my heart. Um, but it took a long time wow. to get there. A long time to get there. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that and even the work that God has been doing. How how is it? Um, maybe give us a window into you know you are you are a father and you mm-hmm. get to live out that reality in a different way than you experience. Like how has God sort of um, instructed your heart or maybe brought people around you to help give you a different picture of what that could be? Um. The subtitle of the book was You Can Be What You Did Not See. And that really became the crux of my life. I didn't know how to be a father. Um, And so uh, one of the the telling points of my life is um, Imani, my my oldest daughter, she was young. We lived in Maryland. She was probably four, maybe three. And um, she was on the floor in the living room of our house in Maryland. And um, I was sitting in a chair... And I was just looking at her and my wife says to me, get down and play with her. No, she's like, get down and play with her. And I got angry. Hmm. And I get up from the couch and I walk into the kitchen where my wife was cooking. And I said, for the first time, I don't know how. Wow. And she looked at me almost shocked. I don't know how to play with her. And my dear friend, he and I are our best friends to this day. Um, he's my children's godfather, and I am his children's godfather. Hmm. Um, he knows how to play with kids like, kids like he's a kid. And so I called him and said, Vince, I don't know how to play with my daughter. And so he brought his uh, two children at the time over the house. And he said, okay, just watch me. And every time I tell the story, I almost tear up. Yeah. And he said, just watch me. And And he gets on the floor. And he starts grabbing his son and moving his son around. And then the kids start getting on him. And then he says, oh, my goodness, Uncle Ty, come help me. And so I get wow. down I get down on the floor like, <laughs> what do I do? And he says, oh, grab her. And so I grab her. He says, hold her over your shoulder. And, and he, they don't realize, no one realizes that he's instructing me on how to play with my, my, my daughter. Um, and it changed my life. At that point, I realized, okay, mm. I need to find people who do this well yes, and ask them for help. Um, and that's what happened. Man, uh, the Sunday that we visited your church was a child dedication Sunday. And uh, I guess mm-hmm. I, could, I didn't know it at the time, but I got to see a picture of the redemption in your story because uh, I will say <laughs> that you were – you were a riot with those with those families and those little babies. It was a <laughs> it was a joyful, oh, yeah, always a joyful it. thing to celebrate families. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was an amazing. Yeah, it, um, that's that's fantastic. Uh, I love that example. I mean, really, it's the pure, the purest form of discipleship is follow me as I follow Christ. Right, that's the simplest. That's it. And to, for you that's to it. kind of see that, like that, sometimes it takes getting literally on your hands and knees, and and you know, very Christ like. Uh, example that you get to follow there, which is, is an amazing yeah. thing. 
So um, maybe unpack a little bit um, the context. I mean, people know Brooklyn, but you're in a particular neighborhood, East New York, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. yeah, that East you're in. Um, and uh, this is, you know, New York City, people think of it as this metropolis of millions and millions of people, but really it is a collection of very small neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. each neighborhood has its own reality, its own ethos. Sometimes it's the way the train runs, sometimes it's the way that, you know, different there's different dynamics there. So maybe give people a little more context on East New York and then how that informed. I want to talk about discipleship today because you've shared some things with me that have been uh, really instructive and helped shatter some stereotypes or things that I've thought about uh, in terms of discipleship. So maybe just start with where, where you're serving and, and sort of the dynamics that you're, uh, that you get to lead through and the people that you have the joy of being able to walk alongside. Yeah. East, East New York is, um, uh, Five miles, five miles square. Yeah, it's not a big place, um, but it has literally hundreds of thousands of people. Um, it's it's the most unbelievable thing, and that's the that's the thing in New York. Just like you said, um, it's just these little small small communities, uh, towns that just have a hundred thousand people. Um, you know, in a in a half mile radius, um, and so a lot of people. East New York has. Um, the most, the largest collection of um, um, housing projects in the country. So there's more housing projects per capita in East New York than it is anywhere else in the country. Um, so we have these housing projects that are, you know, built in the in the 50s uh, that are as high as, good gracious, 20 stories, mm-hmm. uh, 25 stories high. Um, and so people live in stacked um, situations like that. Um, East New York was dubbed... Um, the killing fields of Brooklyn. Uh, there was so much murder. The 75th Precinct, uh, people who might watch TV, they watch, um, uh, there's a there's a show now called East New York. Um, nothing, it's nothing like that. So <laughs> what you watch on the TV, it's nothing like that. Um, and so um, uh, East New York, the 75th Precinct was known as one of the most brutal precincts mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Um, most corrupt precincts um, in Brooklyn, um, in East New York, when I was growing up there, um, the drug dealers would take down all of the signs. So there were no street signs. And the reason for that is because no, none of the police officers um, lived in the community. So if you take down all the street signs, when there is a call, they won't know where to go. Wow. It was that kind of, uh, that kind of place. The first time I saw a dead body um, was there. As a child, slaying in the street um, uh, during the crack epidemic, um, a place like East New York was ravished. I mean, drive-by shootings, killings, um, unable to play outside, kids uh, walking home from school, um, having to be dismissed from school early to run home. Uh, it was it was a horrible, horrible place in many respects to grow up um, and to live. Uh, and so that informed the mindset of people. Um, and so you meet people, I believe you meet people where you are, where they are. Yes. Um, and that I think is the number one, um, the number one uh, rule of discipleship. I really believe that. Um, it is not that I need to know the Bible and know everything. And I don't know, know any of it. I need to meet you where you are, gain your trust. Then I might have the opportunity to speak to you about something that I think is important. Um, But until then, I just want to hear what's important to you. Mm. Um, And so East New York, uh, you can imagine, 
hard to gain trust. Mm-hmm. Um, the most cynical people you're going to meet anywhere, the mindset is everybody has a hustle. What mm-hmm. do you want? Yep. That's the mindset. What do you want? Um, we did a um, um, servant evangelism where we wanted to touch 20,000 people with um, water and granola bars. That's it. Yep. And so we would walk the streets, uh, freeze the water, uh, water and granola bars, just walk around um, all through the year, all through the summer, especially during the summer. I'm giving out cold water because you have to buy water. And I, you know, on the street, they sell it for a dollar. Um, and so we would stop cars and we just, and people would stop us all the time. Um, why are you doing this? Oh, just to show you the love of Jesus. Yeah, okay, but why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, people would follow us saying, no, here, take this money. Because you don't, the mindset, it's it's almost like jail. The mindset that I don't want to owe anyone anything. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to come back and ask me for something that I'm not going to be willing to do. Wow. Um, so taking things from people, uh, people showing you kindness, you know, the idea of walking up to a child, uh, and I say child, I mean like 12, 13, 14, and giving them a bottle of water, you you better be ready to have some conversations with them, especially if they're in the street. Um, it, it's a very, very different place to do ministry. Very mm-hmm. different. That's why a lot of church planners today, and you and I have had this conversation, yeah. that's why they go pl- they plant churches in, in um, Park Slope. They plant, plant churches outside of the areas that really need strong churches that's mm-hmm. one of my pet peeves with yep. with these me with some of these church planning organizations um they're not going where the need is mm-hmm. um and and yeah that that's what drives me uh, the need is great um and i understand the people because i grew up there yeah that's no, a huge yeah i i think that um yeah, there's a lot of a lot to what you just said. I love the idea of me meeting people where they're at and understanding um, that that is such a no matter what your context is, that's a central point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing I observe, like attending your church, like you you have you're a person with a high view of scripture. You you know you're preaching the mm-hmm. gospel, um, and I, I see I, you know from an outsider's perspective from my seat, like I've and I've I've said this to you in so many words is like. I see you as like meeting people where that also is even in the culture of church, there are certain expectations of what a church in a predominantly black neighborhood might be, but also challenging. So you're kind of doing both things at the same time. Like you're meeting people where they're Mm -hmm. at, but then you're also speaking and challenging them on presuppositions on, you know, Mm -hmm. churches that might have extravagance and then speaking to the real issues that people face on a day-to-day basis. So I think you probably wired and do that almost like innately because it's what God wove into you. And I can, you know, I look at it from the outsider, I kind of observe it. But how does, how do you kind of think through that in terms of the way that your church looks and operates, um, the type of programs that you do or don't do, the type of conversations or topics that you might speak to on a Sunday morning or in another space? Well, um, the, the first thing I say is, um, how would this, whatever this is, whether it's a message or a program, how would this affect me or how would this have affected the 15-year-old me mm. um, if I was still here and still in meaning living in New York, living in East New York? And, and how would this affect me? Um, the, the final parts of my sermon, um, I write them in public spaces. So I'll, I'll literally, I'll write a sermon or finish it up. I'll, I might go to Starbucks. Um, uh, I might go to, you know, an area anywhere 
Sometimes in the summer times, I go on the roof of our church at about three o'clock when it's like bustling. And I'll literally stand over, the, I'll look over, I'll be praying over the people, but at the same time saying, how would this point, res- how would I preach this point to her? Um, how would I preach this point to him? Seeing a young lady screaming out profanities, how would, how would I preach this point to her? Um, and that's what makes it so relatable. Um, our people will say, and I hear it all, almost every Sunday, Pastor, it's as if you were just talking to me. Um, and, and I practice that. I, I honestly practice that because it's so easy to, be, to turn people off um, when you have to talk about tough things, <laughs> um, when you have to talk about, you know, not just pointing at them, 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 saying, hold up, guys, us, us, us. We need to do. We have to change this. Um, and so you build that trust where people know uh, if he's saying something to us about us, um, it's because there's going to be a balance to it. He's going to help us understand how we got here. Yep. But then he's going to help us understand our responsibility to acknowledge it and now to decide where we want to go. And so that I think becomes that 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 point for us. Um and you're right. It is I'd never thought of it for for years as a gift. Yeah. But it is as natural to me as breathing. Um I can do I can step into a space, I can step into a place where um, people have never been in an urban environment um, and talk to them and teach them about who we are and where we, what it is. And it's innate. It, it's innate to me. Um, I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we deal, and I, I deal with tough things in scripture. Yes. I have a very high view of the scripture. I am not the guy, you know this, I am not the guy to water it down to attract people. That I'm not doing. Um, I want people to understand the Bible. So I spend time um, in my in my sermons, sometimes too much time, <laughs> um, making sure people understand the context of this verse. Mm-hmm. Um, what did it mean when it was written? And what did it mean to the people that it was said to? Um, and then how does it apply today? I'm, I'm clear to tell my people all the time that we all read a translation. Hmm. It's all, all these translations. We all read translations. It wasn't written. It, it was not written to us, though it was written for us. Mm. And so we have to understand those things. And I think people appreciate it because um, it says in this really, I think, powerful way um, that while God was talking to someone uh, twenty five hundred years ago, three thousand years ago, He's talking to them with me in mind. Um, with this situation in mind, how would he know that we would be facing this type of situation and nestled in this scripture is the answer written 1500 years ago, It's nestled right here. Um, that for, that's exciting to me. And I think people, uh, get it. I, I say things that make people study the Bible. Yeah. I'll say, Andy, I'll say stuff that just seems Wow, I said this is what I said this Sunday. One of the things I said this Sunday. Boy, oh boy, the church got quiet. I said, um, if you ever understand that Lucifer is more like God than you are, and the air goes out of the room, <laughs> and it's like, did he just say the devil is more like God than I am? And and again, I got your attention, don't I? Yeah. I said, okay, you want to argue with me? 
And I talk just like this from the pulpit, talking to my people. Okay, y'all want to make me prove my point. Y'all don't love your pastor. Okay, let's let's ask a few questions. Um, where did Lucifer live? They say heaven. I say, where are you trying to get? Mm-hmm. It becomes funny, trying to get to heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Lucifer flesh and blood? No. And so now we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I say, so you thought I was saying that he's more like God in God's godness. No. Helping people. Oh, wow. It opens people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I say, well, then just, just go study it. Understand it. This is why Satan hates you so much. And now I, I'm able to walk to the point. Um, so I'm, I'm going to challenge people to grow. I'm, I don't want to teach a Sunday school lesson mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. Um, I really want to challenge people to grow. Um, yeah. The uh, the building that you're in has a couple of interesting features in its history. And one of those is if you go downstairs, uh, there's a huge, <laughs> huge safe. I think it's just a <laughs> children's ministry. Uh, you know, those that misbehave can end up down there, I think. But no, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting because you uh, the week that we were there, um, you know, and one thing I, I appreciate, I try to carry this in my own spirit. Like you, you spoke to the fact that, that, you know, the, this house, this building that God has given us, we want to take good care of it. We want it to be mm-hmm. a place where people can encounter God. We want it to be nice enough that people don't have distractions. I think you made a joke about we'll never have an aquarium uh, in, our, in our church or something like that. Uh, <laughs> well, and you have you, a good memory, Andy. <laughs> yeah, but and uh, hey, it's a good message. It stuck, stuck with me. But you all, and at the same time, you said there might be churches that that's what God called them to do. That's great. That's not going to be great. who that's not who who we are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that speaks to the heart of your people. And uh, I know, like, you know, because of the the concentration of poverty and you mentioned before mm-hmm. the the disparity of uh, of wealth that is uh, mm-hmm. common to the community that you you are living in, um, you know, pastors, some pastors love to talk about money. Some hate to talk about money. But God is giving you like a, a I don't know, the the burden of having that being an element of discipleship that you have to continually speak oh, yeah. to in a way that is rooted in scripture. So how do you, how do you do that to people that, uh, I mean, I know there's still diversity of wealth within your church. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of that. Yeah. But how do you speak mm-hmm. to that with your community? Well, Andy, here's what an old, old pastor told me years ago. He may he, I think he's deceased. He said, Tyrone, there's two things that everybody wants, but nobody wants to talk about in church, money and sex. <laughs> And it stuck with me. Um, and yeah, it, it can be a touchy uh, thing to deal with. I love dealing with it. Um, I enjoy talking about it. As a matter of fact, my dissertation um, was on um, the whole idea of a, a vision-informed in, financial system mm. um, in the urban church. That was my whole dissertation. Um, so how do we talk about it? Just like I wanted it talked about when I was a child when it wasn't. In the black community, money is not something that we talk about as a norm um, in just com- in casual conversations within our families. It's not. Um, in my family, with my children, it's a conversation we have every time we sit down. Every time. Mm. I'm going to bring in money and it's management and those sorts of things. In almost every conference, every time we sit down for dinner, uh, it's going to come up in some way, not in a badgering way, in, in some way. Um, I'm going to ask my, my children <laughs> questions. Uh, my two daughters are 
uh, 28 and 25. And so they they get they cringe. So I'm like, so how much do you have in your savings account? <laughs> um, you know, what have you been doing with that? My son is 15. Um, he has a savings account that he has to manage um, with his chores and with his um, 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 allowance. And so I just have the conversation in church the same way, the same way. When we started the church, Andy, the first series I did was 16 weeks long. And it was on money. It was the first preaching series I did in our church. The first. And I I, I taught it on Wednesday night Bible study. Mm-hmm. And I preached it on Sunday morning for mm-hmm. 16 weeks. Now, here's the part that catches most people off guard. I talked about tithing on the 16th week for about 10 minutes. Mm. I did not talk about tithing at all. Mm. I didn't talk about giving to the church in any way, shape or form. And then on the last week, I talked about tithing for about 10, maybe 15 minutes. And I was done. Mm. That was it. Um, Because I know these are conversations that have not been had. We talk about everything from um, how to manage your credit because your credit is God honoring? Ooh. It's it's not just, no no longer. See, I change the dynamic. Um, I tell my children, what do you need a credit score for? Uh, the only reason you need credit is to buy stuff, is to borrow money. There is no other reason. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not going to borrow money, why do, I need, why, do, why do I need credit? I don't. And that's, that's a trick that we learned in the, in the banking, is to make people believe that the yeah. most important thing in their life is their credit score. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm afraid to mess it up, that all it does is help the banking industry. It doesn't. It does. It's so I help people and educate them in that way. I educated that church, and I still do about credit scores, how they come about. How do we get credit scores? Um, why is it important to pay our bills in a God honoring way? Mm-hmm. So for me, my financial conversations teaching is discipleship, one hundred percent. It's not God honoring that. The Bible says, um, don't have the money and tell the person to come back tomorrow. And I just tie it to how we live. Why are you going to have the money for that bill or for your rent and tell the landlord or the bill to come back later because I'm going to use this to go buy a pair of shoes? I help people understand and think of wealth differently, all Mm. biblically. For me, it's all biblical. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason it makes sense to me. That's the only reason it's exciting to me because it's all it's all biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of stewardship, that um, God is the owner and I am the manager and I will answer to God. Mm-hmm. That's the whole concept to me. God owns all of it. I, I own nothing. I'm a manager. Mm-hmm. And just like Jesus, when he tells the parable, when he when 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 he comes back from his long trip, yeah. I will have to answer. And people often think we think of discipleship. Oh, they're only going to have to answer for um, their soul and for did they accept Jesus? I disagree with that. Hmm. I disagree with that. Okay, Tyrone, make your point. How, how do you disagree with that? Well, I think Jesus said, um, "Go into all the world." and make disciples, baptizing mm-hmm. them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, and Lord, yes. I'll be with you. He told them to go. He told them to make. He told them uh, to, to, to baptize. In America, 
all of those things cost money. Mm. You can't go, go, where are you going without money? Who are you teaching without money? How are you baptizing without money? You can't. Mm. So did Jesus not know that 2,000 years ago? And this is a surprise to him. Um, Jesus, for all we can tell in scripture, Jesus didn't have a job nine to five, knock on the door, go to the carpenter's uh, shed and work. How, how, how did he make all these trips? How did he get these boats? Mm. What does he get his clothes? We often think of Jesus when we read the Bible, we forget his humanity. Mm. And we want to teach people about his divinity. And this might, this might rub people the wrong way, Andy, but this is the truth for me. I'm unimpressed with Jesus's divinity unless I can touch his humanity mm. because I can never be divine. I'm not perfect. The thing that enamors me about Jesus is, oh my God, he was hungry like me. Mm. He got tired like me. He got angry like me. He shows me a different way to deal with all those things. But boy, he had those things. He, he goes to these great feasts mm. at, at, in Bethany. And when we understand that there's only poor and rich in Jesus's day, there is no middle class. The concept doesn't even exist. Who, who's paying for these, these huge feasts? And you couldn't have a feast and not invite the village. Mm. That was disrespectful. Who's paying for this? The idea that we don't need money because we got Jesus, I think is wrong. Mm. And when you're dealing with a, a population of people Yep. who have learned to do it without money. I don't have any money. You're going now, now this idea, this is what I grew up with as a child, this idea of, oh, we're more spiritual because we're poor. There is nothing spiritual in, in my mind about the idea of being poor. There's, there's, there's nothing. I'm not, I'm more spiritual than you because I'm poor. Mm. then it causes us to think that people who have money don't need Jesus. Mm -hmm. So Jesus only exists for the poor. That's not the, that's not the Jesus I read about. That's not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so I want to bring it to people um, where they are. And so mm -hmm. teaching people how to manage their money, teaching people how to invest for their future, yep. um, teaching people how to prepare for their children's future. And oh yeah, um, that 10% right there, that belongs to God. Mm. It's his. Um, and, and that should go to him no matter what's going on in your life. Don't mismanage your 90 and then take his 10. So I, I walk through that with people. Um, and, and our church, our church is in East New York. Mm -hmm. Our church is um, in a community that is poor. Uh, um, I forget the percentage. But it's a pretty high, I want to say that 35%, 40% live under the poverty line and 58% of our community receives some type of, of government assistance. So we don't have people um, by and large with large amounts of disposable income. Mm -hmm. But our church is debt-free. Our church has been debt-free. Our church is 20 years old. Our church has been debt-free for every bit of 15 years. We have a sizable building, which you've been to. We own three other buildings, all debt-free. Our church has no debt. Our church um, 
has staff. Our church um, has great reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, our church is our church gives away uh, last year a hundred and some odd thousand dollars to organizations that are doing the kingdom's work. You would think that we'd be asking people to send money to us. We're in East New York. No, that's the concept that we've changed. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're we're not poor because we're in a poor place. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most of most poverty is in our mind. Yeah. And if I can change the way I think about it, I can change the way I live in it. And so, you know, this is, you got to stop me, Andy, because. No, it's uh, good. You're preaching now. It's good. Yeah. I I just, I do love the way that you've, you've cultivated and it's been the faithfulness of your stewardship of your message and your people, but you've cultivated a Macedonian remnant there uh, Mm -hmm. of people that, that, you know, can see the opportunity to be able to, and, you know, you started this conversation talking about how money and sex are the two things that the church doesn't like to talk about. And I remember as a dad, somebody telling me, you know, when in terms of talking to my kids about sex, they're like, you don't have one conversation. You do have, you have one exactly. conversation over the course mm-hmm. of years and that's how you yep. cultivate an understanding. Um, and so I just think that that's a, a really insightful, uh, and I, I look forward, you know, it's been really, again, for me, my understanding of the city, understanding of your church and your context, um, God is raising up. Uh, new church planters who want to plant in hard places. And I look forward to, you know, co-laboring with you and with others like you to be able to say like, how can we do this in a sustainable, holistic way that advances the gospel into these places? I was, I was sitting with some, um, some young adults uh, in there from Auburn, Alabama, and I was sitting with them the, uh, about, <laughs> about a week ago and they're talking about coming to learn about New York city. They're just you know, intrigued by the big city and, and I said, you know, if you come with the right attitude and the right heart and an open hand, a humility and understanding, the beauty of it that you get to see is that the same gospel that speaks to the challenges and issues of your community here in Absolutely. Alabama speaks to the issues. There may be different issues, but the same gospel speaks to these things. And when you mm-hmm. can lean into these, these opportunities to understand the diversity of humanity and the beauty of the gospel and the mosaic of the church what you actually get out of it, and this is what gets me excited, is you get to understand the gospel more. You get to see different aspects yeah. of it, and you get to love the God of the gospel more. And that, to mm-hmm. me, has been one of the privileges as we've been able to begin to foster a relationship, which I look forward to carrying forward uh, in, in many ways. So uh, where can people find you? How can they connect with you? How can they learn more about what God is doing at Hope City and through your ministry? Well, they can find us online. Our uh, website is um, hopecitychurch.co, C-O, not com, C-O. Um, we're on social media, Facebook and all that as um, This Is Hope City. Um, so you can find us on um, all of our social media in that way. Um, I can be found on, um, I think I'm the Tyrone Stevenson, as if there's another. And, and it's truly a funny story. We are going to just go with Tyrone Stevenson, and we did a search. There's a hundred <laughs> of them. All of the, all, but but all of the pictures, all of the stuff that came up was people smoking marijuana. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like all of them. Um. So yeah, we figured. Um. So if you see that, that photo, go, that's not the right church. You're at that's the wrong not the right church. church. <laughs> <laughs> we figured that might grow the church in one way, but diminish it in another. Yeah. Um. And so yeah, the Tyrone Stevenson. Um. Uh, and yeah, this is what we do. We have a, we do have a site in um, a campus in Baldwin, Long Island. Yeah. Um, so two different worlds, yes. um, worlds apart. They're they're not far apart. They're about thirty minutes apart in driving. But 
Um, the needs are different, but like you said to the people in um, Alabama, uh, it's the same God. It's the same gospel. Um, while there might not be a need for a book bag giveaway in Baldwin Harbor, yep. <laughs> you know, where they live on the water, um, there might not be a need for that, but there's always a need for mm. how we manage our money. There's always a need for how we re- relate in our marriages and with our children. Um, the needs are always the same, doesn't matter how much money a person has um, or how much they don't have. Mm. Um, we all need relationships and we all need to be better at it. I, I'm a witness. I need to be better at relationships. Um, and the most I've learned about, the rela- about relationships with people um, is my relationship with God. Mm. That's, that's really it for me. Yeah. Well, well, thank you again, Pastor Tyrone. I, I look up to you so much as a pastor, um, you know, excited to at some point uh, crack open your book and we find that on Amazon again. What's the name, title of the book one more time for us? The title of the book is The Day My Daddy Died. Yeah. And other than that, I mean, you are a Giants fan, so you have one strike against you, but we have grace for all things. So. Uh, see, you almost, you almost, <laughs> almost made it out. I was, I was like, maybe Andy has come to the light of Jesus Christ. And then you say something like that. Just, all right. oh man. I mean, I'm just going to let it slide because I'm, you know, we have to be humble grace and, grace for each and other, love yes. people. That's good. That's good. Well, thank yeah, you, my, my Giants are just breaking my heart. They're just, oh they're just breaking my heart. Well, New England's but, not doing much better right now. So we have that at least in common in some way. So. <laughs> at least we have right. that in common. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Pastor. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you to be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and feel free to send us a message. It's an easy way to connect. You can also send me an email directly at andy at convergenortheast.org. That's andy at convergenortheast.org. Let us know what resonates with you as well as any ideas or suggestions for topics or interviews for future episodes. We appreciate it when you follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and know that a positive review is a simple way that you can help more people discover the evergreen way. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.